0: What's up, guys? This is Coy Baker of Baker Forge and Tool, and you are here with the Work for It podcast.
1: We've got Coy Baker in the house for an interview. Coy, man, how you doing? How you doing, man? Oh,
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Living the life, living the dream.
1: That's awesome. I have been a big fan of your metal for a long time. I got so lucky to use it on a couple different knives. It's fantastic stuff. It's so incredibly beautiful. Tell us about something that, I mean, you're always coming out with some crazy patterns, some crazy materials. Do you have something in your sleeve that you just can't can't wait to get out into the world?
0: Actually, yes. And I wanted to kind of make this the debut announcement for our <gasps> a, a new material we're doing. Hey, yeah. That's I what I'm almost, talking about. I almost did it last night over Instagram. I was like, you know what? We're recording in the morning might as well do it on here of course I don't know when this is gonna drop so uh, as far as the episode goes
1: um... <laughs> I was gonna say so I've got a couple in the in the bag so you know it's probably not gonna drop for about a month
0: <laughs> Oh gotcha yeah well then this will be old news to everybody um... sorry guys <laughs> oh that is what it is um yeah but no we've got uh, we've got something coming out that we're super excited about. Um, everybody would know our traditional copper my which uses our copper damascus cladding material oh yeah um and traditionally that's a tri-alloy of 1084 15 and 20 and copper shim mm-hmm. um we just shook it up and we replaced all the 15 and 20 out of it with pure 200 grade nickel and oh, we're calling it the elite copper my because it takes it up to a whole nother level um so it's it's, it's 1084 alternating and in between those alternating layers, you've got one layer of copper, steel, and then another layer of uh, of nickel. And it really gives it a spicy, spicy look because you've got that copper color in there with the dark steel. And then you've also got the bright nickel, which, of course, doesn't do anything when you etch it. It stays just right. bright, bright. Brilliant um, bright. Brilliant bright. And we've yeah. already had some test knives been made for photos and stuff. And it's, it's my new favorite. It really is. And I think that people are going to love it. So we're excited about
1: that. <laughs> Man, I feel like in my videos, I always say, like, to start it off, or let's let's get, or I'm super excited, let's get into it. I feel like every single time you come out with something new, you're just so excited about it, and you're just so excited to get it out into the world. It, oh, it's yeah. amazing that, like, you're not, or your materials are just so incredibly, you know, exciting and interesting. How, how can you not say that every single one is your favorite every single time, you know?
0: Well, I, I do that. So <laughs> I am at fault there because every single new one is, is a new favorite. But, you know, that's the name of the game for us. It's always about innovation. It's always about trying new things and finding, you know, what people want. Because we get a lot of people who recommend patterns to us. Now, oh. they're, not, they're not always any good. <laughs> um, but we, <laughs> we, we like kind of experimenting off those concepts. Um, and this Elite Mai was actually a recommendation from a couple of people over the last oh. couple of months who have recommended putting nickel in there. Because um, traditionally with that copper my cladding, the copper Damascus cladding, if you don't etch it real well or are or, or experienced with the material, it's really easy to black out the 15 and 20 along mm. with the uh, 1084. And so it just looks two-toned. And our original concept for that pattern was to be a tri-alloy for three-tone. Right. Um, but a lot of people had issues trying to get the 15 and 20 to be bright while keeping the 1084 dark while not completely blowing out the copper <laughs> so, so you
1: just ratcheted that thing all the way up to pure nickel
0: ratcheted all the way to pure nickel and it jumps you, you know it's it's more expensive that way but it's a well, very very slick look
1: i feel if you're going for something crazy like this and i mean come on what's what's it gonna be just a little bit bump in price and you're gonna get that much better it's it's just the way to go
0: yeah yeah and then when you when it comes down to it you know we're in working with shim stock, and it just makes so much volume of that material, the, the cost gets broken down and spread out across those billets pretty far. So you really don't see that big of a price jump on, on the retail side. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: So I have been perusing your YouTube channel, which is, first of all, awesome. surprised that you don't have, like, you know, I, I guess it's so new that, of course, the subscribers haven't flowed in as much as you would expect with the quality that you're putting out. But it is yeah. amazing to me just just how you go from not putting out anything or very little on YouTube to, you know, the first thing you put out when it's so high polish. Tell us about how that came about.
0: Well, so I've always wanted to do a YouTube channel around what we do. Um, I mean, Baker Forge isn't actually that old. We're like two and a half years old at this point. And so from the beginning, I knew I wanted to do a YouTube channel just because there's – so much more you know it's just different content instagram is very short very fast yes. um and there's a lot of people out there who like more long-form content and see more of the processes of what happens you know behind the screen so always wanted to do that and of course it can be an income source down the road um but i knew based on my skills with the camera which is next to none right um that it wasn't going to happen without somebody else helping out and so Probably coming up on a year ago, we brought in our own in-house videographer and photographer who works for us full-time now. Nice. Um, yeah, he, he's, his name's Whalen, And he anytime you see content now on Instagram or YouTube, um, it's pretty much been shot and edited by him now. So that helped a lot. That took that off my plate because, you know, running an Instagram and a business in this day and age, it's all about social media and right, keeping up with right. all that. And that's got to be
1: so nice having the videographer to stop and like take pictures of things and do shots all the time. So, because I mean, for me, for instance, I have to stop constantly to take a picture of this process because it's really cool, Mm -hmm. put up a post. And like, all it only takes about 10 minutes to get a couple posts out there, but that's 10 minutes you're now behind on what you're supposed to be doing.
0: Exactly. And we have, I have so much on my plate with everything else going on. I was just like, you know what? I got to alleviate something. And I want to start a YouTube channel, but there's no way I can do that on my own with my current time schedule. So we brought someone in, and eventually, hopefully, the YouTube channel will pay his salary at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the goal. But, yeah. God, I feel YouTube, that's to my core. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. YouTube youtube has been slow. Um, definitely a very different platform. i would never done anything on YouTube in the past. This is the first time. Um, very different uh different method of approach i would say as far as subscribers you know stuff like that
1: well what i am noticing though watching your videos is that they are paced well they are you know visually beautiful all the way through there's no real like dead spots you know it's it seems as if you're putting out top tier videos so you know it i can't imagine it'll be long before you start getting that really massive followership where The views will actually start paying the salary
0: i i hope so um we've kind of got to nail our groove you may have noticed that we've kind of been bouncing around with the video style trying to figure out what we want um what we want the channel to be as far as theme wise you know we don't really do how-to videos but we've done some more in-depth videos on how something was done and then on the other hand we've done some videos that are more just totally for consumption and entertainment and right. we're trying to find that middle ground as to what our followers want to see. Because some people just want to be entertained, but on the other hand, some people actually want to see more in depth of what we're doing so they can understand what's going on.
1: You also have to be super mindful about what is your goal with the YouTube. Are you just trying mm-hmm. to build a followership so that you can make money off of YouTube? Or are you trying to convert people who have never heard your name to possible you know, buyers of your steel? and i feel like there's there's a magic, you know, there's there's you know, entertainment is fun and you're going to get a lot of views if you do entertainment but they're low quality, you know, viewers because you know, the the person who has never made a knife in their life looking at how this steel is made. It, yeah, it's really cool. It's really entertaining and they'll love the video, but you know, you I feel like you would want to try to tailor it towards the people who are more likely to buy your steel.
0: Well, exactly. That's kind of been What we've been trying to figure out because it would be a lot faster to grow a following if we were just shooting for the masses and going for entertainment but on the other hand we are a steel manufacturer in the maker community and our goal is to supply the maker community with steel and so on that hand we should be really more focused on those makers and so we we still haven't nailed that down honestly it's just a work in progress
1: Well, it's quite a conundrum, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting thing to have to, it's, it's so many times you just sit there and think, well, if I do it like this, but no, that's kind of pulling, this would be really cool on screen, but it's going to pull us away from the, you know, eventual idea of who I'm trying to get to. So yeah, it's, I totally understand the, um, the push back and forth between that. So I kind of want to go back to, you know, you have very quickly built up a you know workshop where you're employing so many people. Um, tell us about the, the move from when you first started Baker Forge and Tool up to where it is now.
0: So I started Baker Forge and Tool in my single car garage um, up on the top of a mountain because <laughs> I live in the mountains um i was already uh, actually an owner and operator of another company at the time and i've always been interested in forging uh, i started forging knives actually when i was 14 years old <clears throat> and it's always been a hobby um once i got into that house where, where i had that detached garage i kind of set up a shop um nothing crazy just a little forge a little small anvil um, and some other tools drill press and whatnot and just just monkeying around on the weekends I went down the rabbit hole of Damascus, which is the the gateway drug. <laughs> um, oh my
1: god, I feel that so bad right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: was listening to your your episode from yesterday uh, with Maximus, and uh, yep, yep. Um, yeah. So started making some Damascus, and at the time I, I had a small Instagram account, maybe two three hundred followers, and I started when as soon as I started making Damascus, I started getting messages from people. They're like, hey that's really cool. Can you, can you make me a bar? And I was like, well, well, sure. Why not? I love making Damascus. I actually didn't really like the knife knife making side of things as much. I preferred to forge. Um, so I enjoyed forging a knife in the Damascus, but I didn't like enjoy the finishing part. Um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Made a couple bars of Damascus for some people. And that really started to take off, especially once I started doing more mosaic Damascus and, Um, you know, sand, some specialty sand mice, Mm -hmm. stuff that, you know, you can't just go out and buy anywhere else. It was fairly unique. Um, and there wasn't at the time, nobody really out there selling bars of steel. Um, at at this time, there was a couple of guys doing some basic Damascus here and there. Um, but nobody doing anything crazy. And so I started doing mosaics Boy, that. It really took off. People really started wanting it. And I ended up with a wait list that was almost a year long at that point. Wow. Wow. And I quickly abolished the whole wait list idea because I just, the pressure? No, yeah. not for me. Not for me. I My creative freedom started getting hampered, and I was like, no, that's not the way to do it. Um, so it was, it was around this time that I started dabbling with the copper. I had a customer who asked, hey, I started seeing, uh, I saw somebody on, I don't know where it was, YouTube, somewhere, where they put copper into the Damascus, and mm-hmm. I want a billet of that. And I was like, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's that sounds like a dumb idea, um, and impossible." So, but I told it was a good friend of mine. I told him, "You know what? I'll give it a go. Let's do it." So, ordered some copper sheet, started trying to put it, billet it together in my big open forge, and uh, before you know it, I had melted it all into the bottom of the forge.
1: <laughs> as <course>. one does. <laughs> right, right.
0: But uh after a bunch of tries i ended up getting a, a small piece that worked and when that first time i cut that in cut off and i ground and you know bevel into it i was hooked i was mm. the adrenaline of seeing what was a, showing up in the layers as i ground it was addicting and i thought you know what i think i might finally have it and so i of course was posting to my social media with my progress and people were just freaking out they were loving it and more so that they knew I was going to be selling it. Not that, you know, Hey, I was going to use this my personal knives and then post it on Instagram and sell a knife. They sure. knew I was going to be selling the steel. Cause at that point that's all I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I started to nail down a process and that it was slow. Um, there's a lot of little things you got to get right. And, you know, ordered a kiln. I built a hydraulic press cause screw doing that by hand. Um, Mm. and before before you knew it i i had more work than i could handle at the time my other full-time job i was still i was coming home at three to four in the afternoons and working late into the night every night and all weekends so i was working two full-time jobs at the time just to keep up with demand um and on the weekends i was having both of my brothers also come into the little one man (laughs) garage shop to help me um and so I realized, you know what, this, this is something that we could take full time. Uh, I've got, there's so much demand at that time. There was a couple of knife companies already interested in larger batches of this material. And I was like, there's just, if they could see what kind of operation I'm working out of, they would not buy from me. <laughs> this is <laughs> The ratty tattiest setup. And so... I talked to, I've got two uh, two other, well, three other business owners, technically. So Baker Forge is a four-man owned, owned company. Um, uh, oh, my screensaver just went off. Sorry. Oh, no. It's Distracted okay. Me. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, so I talked to, my, the other owners are two of my brothers and my dad. And at the time I went to them, I said, hey, this is something I think we could take full time. I want you guys to be a part of it and i'm going to take a step back from the other company and to just do a more of a managerial role and take a step out of you know day-to-day operations and i'm gonna i'm gonna jump into this this forge full-time and so i started looking for a new building um and that took a while um uh, yeah. so there was some really big really big industrial spaces that were just too big for me at the time and of course were way too much on the lease you know the, the money per month right right Luckily, I teamed up with a local knife maker, Josh Morgan, of uh, Primitive Woodsman Knives, and he—he he and I have been friends for a long time at that point. And he told me one day, he said, "Hey, i i need a new—I need a new shop space." He was working out of his basement, mm, and wow. he was growing a lot. And he said, "Hey, let's just team up. Let's do—let's do a shop together." And I was like, "Thank God," because I now right. we could afford something and so uh yeah a couple months later we landed um right here in vilas uh, north carolina and we've got a three the 3,500 square foot shop space now um, wow that we've already maxed out
1: (laughs) i was gonna gonna say
0: so you know you started
1: off in this one man or one car garage and you very quickly filled it up and felt cramped by it and then you moved to this giant shop and now i'm sure uh, the next feeling is Oh well, now I feel cramped by it. Now we need to move to even bigger. So is there is there a bigger? Do you are you content with the space that you have now, or are you planning
0: on moving off to something bigger and better pretty soon? Well, so for now I think we're okay. There's another bay in this building uh, that is leased to somebody else. It's a dis- it's kind of disconnected from us. There's no entrance into it from our side, um, and there's been talk of them uh, leaving. And we may be able to take over that bay, and that bay is almost another thousand square feet. Oh wow! So it's a big one. They they use it for operating um, or working on eighteen wheelers. So they can pull a whole eighteen wheeler in there. It's pretty big. Um, but yeah, so we're good. We're good now if we can move into there. And so that's kind of on the on the books for now. Not, nothing set in stone. Uh, we're making do with where we are. With where we are now, we're super efficient in our layout that became critical early on, making sure every single machine was in exact right place it needed to be for space efficiency and operation efficiency. Tell us, tell me about how, how you came up with
1: the efficiency. Did you like do the old, you know, you take duct tape or painter's tape and lay everything out on the floor? Did you, you know, just kind of do it all in your head? Or did you do the you know set something here and oh well it could be a little bit better there so you shim it over
0: a little bit or you know that type of a thing it was definitely more shim in it so when we first moved okay in, all right you know the when we first got here the amount of equipment i had didn't make a dent in the space and it was super empty and so it wasn't it the space wasn't an issue but uh, as soon as i started bringing on employees and we started purchasing large equipment uh to make the processes quicker and faster uh you know, we just we ran out of space pretty quick, and so we realized as we were bringing in new machines, hey, this thing is massive, and we've got to figure out exactly where it needs to sit for the guys when they're running production. You know, flow between this machine to this machine to the fire um, that needs to be set up in such a way that it is very easy for them to work in that environment and not be crossing paths with another guy who's doing mm-hmm. another operation. Um, that it was very tricky and. It really just came down to setting stuff up, running a, a batch, and going, whoop, nope, that, that's that got to move. That's in the way. That results in a guy swinging a bar of steel over here right at that guy's shoulder. So, you know, just See, adjusting.
1: That is so interesting to me because, you know, working alone in a little tiny shop, I don't really think about efficiency because I'm so crammed into such a small little area that I don't have any choice but to be ultra-efficient because it's efficiency just to pack everything in there but to move into, you know, the bigger space and you're swinging around, it's not like you're just moving around, you know, I don't know, cold steel. It's it's blaring crazy hot steel. It's white hot steel that's getting moved from space to sp- or area to area. So you have to think it's not just efficiency so that you're you're making more money. It's
0: efficiency for the sake of safety. Exactly. Um it it's very easy i mean it's a dangerous environment to begin with um right big giant open forges uh, hydraulic presses and rolling mills that are on and running just non-stop for a lot right. of it because you know the guys can't just stop and turn the machine on you know while they're in the middle of doing something so those machines are just on and running and yeah the safety aspect is a big deal um and yeah you got to have it set up efficiently otherwise it's it's dangerous for sure for sure so i want
1: to change gears or switch gears if if i can take a brian Houseism. switching back to when you were first getting into making in general you know you made your first knife at 14 years old what was it that got you into have you always is is your family kind of like a making family where was there always a shop that was you know open for you to go and work in or
0: i mean I, what was the thing that turned your maker switch on so it was not, it was not my family. So actually we grew up in a tech family. My dad was in telecom and he, yeah, definitely not a maker, didn't have any sort of shop growing up. Um, we were also homeschooled, so I didn't have uh, a shop, you know, like at high school or anything like that. This was, this was all just at, at my house and my, it all sparked by a friend of mine who, this was before Forged and Fire, of course. Um, sure. He was a massive fan of the Lord of the Rings series. Right. as everybody is. And he set up a shop, uh, kind of a blacksmith shop, and he was making replicas of the swords on that show. And I thought it was just the coolest thing whenever I would go over to his house. He was in college at the time. He was much older than me. Um, and so I got some time to be over there and watch him watch him make stuff and see what he was doing. And the forging just grabbed me. And I just I couldn't get away from it. And so as soon as I saw him doing that, I went home and I piled up a big old pile of charcoal in my driveway, and thank goodness we lived out in the sticks. Um, but that a rock and a framing hammer and an old file for a piece of steel—that's that, how I started. Um, oh, eventually, my eventually, that guy actually gave me my my first anvil. He gave me a little cast, kind of a Harbor Freight looking anvil, except it was before Harbor Freight was garbage. Right, um, and that's how I started with blacksmithing he gave me that first anvil and things just kind of took off from there and it, it was always a hobby You're slowly gathering little tools throughout you know high school and later so
1: wow so so you you smashed that first knife and i assume you know just like everybody's first knife it's nowhere near perfect but you still Uh-oh, caught yeah. the bug you still you know fell in love with the with the process of forging i did I, I, it was was it more the forging Like, obviously, you've turned into Baker forging tools. So, you know, this is kind of an obvious question, but you fell more (laughs) in love with the, you know, the forging process than the rest of the knife making
0: process. Oh, hands down. I mean, as a a kid, I enjoyed that, you know, wow, I'm holding a knife I made. That's super cool. And of course, I can use this knife when I'm out hunting or, you know, whatever. Uh, But I always came back to the forging aspect and I would forge knife, after knife, after knife, and create a nice pile of forged knives that are not finished. <laughs> and well, you just
1: love the process so much. How could, how could you not?
0: Exactly. It, it was all about the forging process, the moving of the material, the moving of steel. And as a, later in life, it became more, I mean, it became also about the business. My big passion is business development. Um, mm. And I've developed several businesses over the years. And so that I've never worked for anybody else other than myself in my entire life. So congratulations! It was always yeah, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Uh, It's it's always been about making uh, a business work, and just that that whole business aspect of it really intrigues me. And that's one of the reasons I started listening to your guys' show back in the day. Was you know it's about business in the workplace, and so that's that's my jam.
1: Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. So what was, the, what was the first business that you started up? Can you, can you kind of give us a, a rundown on what it was that that you used to cut your teeth in business building?
0: Yeah, so right out of uh, high school, as soon as I graduated high school, I went down. I was in North Carolina at the time, and I moved down to Louisiana to help a friend start a painting and drywall company. He had just right. moved down there, and he wanted to start up one of those. And so he and I kind of spearheaded started that company down there and then once he was up and running about a year in i moved back up to north carolina and helped my dad start pretty much an identical company he had just moved into the area and didn't have a job and needed some needed some quick money and so we started a a painting and drywall company up here and so that's my background really in business is a painting drywall uh, company we took that to a, a a very large business here in our area um and it was very successful. It's not running anymore. We sold it off uh, when I you know after getting Baker Forger tools started up, I couldn't do both and we decided to sell it off. So I no longer am a part of that company, but my background sure, is sure. is painting and drywall. Painting and drywall. So was there some sort of like,
1: what were the hurdles looking like when you're first getting it started because i imagine you know just getting into building your first business there's mistakes made there's things you don't really think about it was there really a story of like oh my god how how did i not think about that before or how did i how did the business survive without me thinking about that
0: well hm i don't know if something really pops out and comes to mind per se it is a very different business style than what we're doing now i will tell you that what we're doing now is more B2B. I mean, we have some B2C business, but it is a much more B2B business than painting. Painting, of course, is very much direct customer. Right. And right. you're working with those customers day in and day out on these projects, and you're developing a lot, you know, a, a lot in person with them. And sure. sometimes that's a lot harder because working with people is not always easy. But I would say that's where I cut my teeth on customer relations, hands down. Okay. Because uh, working in a service, cause, you know, it's, it's a service environment, um, and so you, you know you're providing the service for these people, and there's a certain amount you have to put up with and deal with uh, with customers, even though you may think they're wrong. You know, customers always right, and that's where <laughs> you know we really pride ourselves on our customer service with Baker Forge. But I, I learned that in the painting company, working with people on a daily basis in person on their personal house, which you know that's a lot of trust that somebody puts into you. Sure. Uh, Sure. let you into their home so it's it's almost you
1: know kind of like hey i've i've got this really gorgeous piece of or knife in my mind and now i need a gorgeous piece of steel to go you know make take it one more step higher you know it's still that same level of you know your your steel needs to be to a certain level and a certain amount of interesting in it that you know hey it's just it's just a level of integrity you need to have to be able to pull it off. And man, you guys are absolutely killing it right now. You guys are really really making high-end stuff. So I'm seeing here, let's see, what's it what's the I'm p- seeing a piece of mosaic damascus that you you've posted just a few days ago that has like these orbs in it. What
0: what is what is up with this piece of steel? Okay, so that is a it's called a plug welded damascus. And so I don't know who originated this concept, but where I first saw it was with uh, Joshua Prince of Prince Works Forge. Mm-hmm. He does a, a lot of work with plug-welded Damascus. And so basically, it's you make a base pattern Damascus bar, and then you drift holes into it, which, trust me, sounds like a bad idea. You take this beautiful bar of steel, and you're going to drift <laughs> a big-ass hole right in the middle.
1: Yeah, why but, not?
0: Yeah. So you drift a hole into it, and it what it does, it really pushes those layers out and around that hole, kind of gives it that really flowing look around the hole.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then you take another piece of mosaic that contrasts the pattern, or goes really well with the base pattern, and you stick it in that hole, and you weld that back in and create another a solid bar back out of the, the piece. And it's a concept I've been wanting to try for a long time, uh, but I hadn't really... Got the gumption, we should say, to try it. And uh, after t- being in the DMs with, with uh, Joshua and just asking him some tips and tricks, he that guy's a great guy. If you, you guys aren't following Joshua Prince, you guys need to. He's a skilled maker, and he loves teaching people what he knows. He's very open with information. Um, so I credit him for the success of that bar. But yeah, for sure. it was just a test piece uh we where we didn't have any intent on on selling that it's got a couple of flaws in it that i don't like and i don't send out stuff that has flaws in it <laughs> so um is it, it was something a very cool that you process
1: is it something that you're going to pursue into you know obviously you're starting up making you know you've got the mosaics going you've got all these crazy you know sand mys going is this plug welded steel going to be something that you're looking into you know selling in the future. Yes, but
0: it will never be a production. I don't oh, think okay. so. So we've got two lines going here. We've got our production line, which is all our copper and bronze laminated steels, and some more basic sandmays like stainless sandmey and wrought iron sandmey. That's all production stuff that we that we do. For the custom side, stuff like the mosaic Damascus or specialty mokumagane billets and stuff like that. That is all, always going to be more one-off, especially the Mosaic Damascus. We really push that to be one-off stuff because it is so unique, and the biggest appeal to collectors and knife buyers is that that steel is a -a one-of-a-kind piece. You can't be replicated. And so we lean towards more doing auctions with those pieces and letting collectors go, hey, there's a piece of steel that really tickles my fancy. I want a knife out of it, and I'm going to know that that blade that pattern can never be replicated by anybody again and so we kind of lean towards doing all those mosaics as just one-off pieces Um, that doesn't see production work
1: all right so here is a situation for you so imagine that the money income is the same on either side both the production side and the one-off side and you had to shut one of them down and only keep one side of your business now you know it's not like oh well this side makes so much more money you know that's we're obviously gonna go where the money is which side would you find yourself gravitating towards and which side would you have to you know you just instinctually i would much rather this side over that side
0: that is a hard question but i I'm know, gonna right lean. i'm gonna go <laughs> mosaic side because okay that gives me the most artistic creativity. Um, gotcha. As far as an outlet. The the copper stuff, the artistic nature comes in with the development of the pattern. And then from that point forward, it's fairly hands-off for me once the trials have been done and the, p- the pattern has been tested. It then goes into production, and my team takes care of, of the rest of that. And so with the one-off mosaics, those are always made by me, personally. Hand, all gotcha. hand-done by me. And so the The production stuff isn't anymore. It used to be, uh, but for the most part, I don't actually touch those anymore. Um, that's all production. So, gotcha, gotcha.
1: So, what is? I mean, you're always on the bleeding edge of things. Is there a certain process that you're looking to, you know, get into? Because you know, I kind of asked this question at the very beginning. What's something that's super interesting that you're you're excited to get out into the world? And you said, you know, the new the new um, materials and this 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 type of steel that you're making the, the high nickel or the, the only straight nickel. Now, what is, if you're, if you were to have, you know, a week off in your shop and you have nothing else to do, what is some crazy process that you have always, it's always been in the back of your mind. Hey, I've always wanted to try something along these lines. Is there something on the bleeding edge that your, your sights are set on someday tackling?
0: Yes. And that would come down to my favorite material. And that's meteorite. Um, oh yes, I have a All slab. Right. I've got a slab of meteorite in the shop right now, a big one. It's worth more than my truck, um, <laughs> and I have not cut into it yet because I'm scared to death too. But I've I've messed with meteorite in the past, and I love that material so much. It's a pain to work with, but I love the fact that this stuff you know is out of this world, literally. Right, and <laughs> you're combining it with something of this world, you know, steel. And so I just, I love that that correlation there, that relationship of the, the meteorite to steel. And so it's it's on my list. What I would want to do would either be to plug weld that into a mosaic, have a mm. meteorite plugged in, or do a fully laminated meteorite uh, sami where you've got meteorite on the cladding, of course, and then you have a solid core of, of steel for your edge. There's a lot of issues with trying to do that. And I've talked to guys who are more, you know, expert, experts in the field I should say about working with meteorite and the cool grained crystallized pattern that you see in meteorite that's very iconic to the name that mm. is very easily disrupted in the forge if you get it too hot it basically oh. all kind of melts into a <gasps> solid looking sheet of nickel oh my god <laughs> I mean these these iron meteorites are high in nickel and so it's very easy you get it too hot you lose that, that look, and it turns into just a solid-looking piece of material, and that's no imagine, good because that doesn't – Imagine being that
1: guy who figured that out
0: where mm-hmm.
1: – <laughs> Sorry, I, I got it too hot, and now this meteorite just looks like nickel. Oh, my God, yeah. the art wrench.
0: Yeah, oh, and I've, I've personally seen it. We uh, I had Dakota Wilson uh, out in the shop last year, and we did a kind of a collaborative project with some Tomahogane – and some meteorite in a canister. We floated all those materials in a can of powder, forged it down into a bar we were going to use as cladding, and we put fairly decent-sized chunks of meteorite in that canister. And then when right. we took it up to welding temp, drew it out, cut the end, and ground the edge, you know, ground a bevel in, we realized the meteorite went liquid inside. Oh, no. turned. Well, it turned out okay because it turned into okay. a nice, solid shim so you could see it very well throughout the whole you know the whole cladding piece but it just i mean it's just a shim it looks like just a line of silver it doesn't look like meteorite Mm. it's cool to tell people hey there's meteorite in there but they look at that and go well that could be silver that could be nickel that could be all kinds of other stuff (laughs) sure sure so it loses its iconic look if you go too hot and so if i coming back to your question if i had a week of no work and i wanted i could just dedicate myself to something really cool that would be it. It would be working with the meteorite. How long has this meteorite been in your shop?
1: Uh, eight months now. Oh my, eight months it's been sitting in your shop, and you've been able to not touch it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I've touched it plenty, but okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't cut anything out of it. I just pull it out right. of the box That's and hold it. <laughs>
1: that's what i'm talking about how how is it that you have such a cool piece of material i feel like as soon as i get something in my shop that i think is cool i've got to play with it i've got to do what i'm thinking i want to try with it in the future. you know oh my gosh the the ability to just set it aside not play with it until you have the proper project that is something that you have over me for sure
0: well i mean it's it's a time issue it, it's really just a time issue uh, if I had the time, I would have started a long time ago. But you know, these one-off custom projects—it takes a lot of time off my plate. And what sacrifices what is sacrificed, is the the bad, uh, the business back end of Baker yeah. Forge because that's a yeah. lot of it is just me right now. And so there's just you know there's only so many hours in the day. And you know, leading up until a couple of months ago, it had gotten to the point where production had completely filled the shop and I wasn't actually even able to do any work in my forging bays without being in the way of somebody Mm -hmm. and interfering in production. And a couple of months ago, it really hit me. I was like, Hey, I'm really feeling the pull of this. You know, we just have all this work. I'm just sitting at a desk all day. That is not what I Mm -hmm. started out to do with this. And I need to get creative back out in the shop uh, on a regular basis. And so that's where um as people know we got a new power hammer from chris cash at mount Phillip metalworks he brought us down a a new hammer and that was critical because i our other production hammer was just taken up all the time and so we kind of rearranged the forging bay to allow this new hammer to be put in and uh kind of all on one side so it gives me one side that has a forge a press a rolling mill and a power hammer that i can actually use while production is still being done on the other side of the bay and I'm not in the way anymore. And so that's why there's been a little bit of an uptick with the mosaic work because I have been able to get in the shop and do more work without being in the way of guys. Um, So there's going to be more of that in the future, and the time frame for working on this meteorite is definitely scaling up. Um, It won't be long for sure. Cool.
1: I am so excited to see it because, I mean, just the level of work you've been putting out, just to to see you having – Basically, to hear that you have this this really cool piece of material that you're so excited to try, man, you're gonna do something absolutely phenomenal with it. I I already know for sure. Um, oh, thanks, man. So it really sounds like you need to get someone to do the paper side of the business so you can get in the shop more. Well,
0: you're you're not wrong there. It's been it's <laughs> been it's been thrown around. I I really need a an administrative assistant of some sort. <laughs> um, sure. We dish we just kind of re revamped the structure a little bit of the business two or three weeks ago now and i now have a full general manager who runs the shop um that's jay some of you guys will know him from instagram stories um he is now fully in charge of all day-to-day operation in the shop and i don't actually have to even be in there anymore Uh, i am of course but he's really taken over that role in managing bulk orders uh commercial orders um the drops and the drop schedule, making sure everything is being made on time and juggling all of that. Because for a while, I was juggling all that and just telling the guys, "Here, here's what you need to do. Just do this." And now he's really taking over the schedule and making sure everything is being done on time, and that's that's freeing things up a lot for me. Um, I still do need to get someone to help a little bit more with some of the other back end. Uh, I've already got like taxes and shipping. I've already got a guy that handles that. I know that sounds like it doesn't go together, <laughs> um, but <laughs> that would be my dad. He takes care of all shipping and then does all the taxes and back-end work that I don't like to do with taxes, insurance, and whatnot. Um, and then we also – I've got a social media manager now who manages everything social media-related on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I, I am, if you're DMing me on Instagram, that is still me, so don't worry. That is nice. still coy. <laughs> but. He's managing drops, uh, sorry, posts and stuff like that, engaging with other makers as far as liking comments, stuff like that. He helps me because I got way too many of them to deal with. And so he helps go through and making sure that our account is engaging with these other people and even people that don't follow us, you know, for helping making sure we're reaching out to other people in the community and the industry.
1: Now, is this social media guy separate from your videographer?
0: Yes, this, is a, this guy actually wow. is – he's my brother-in-law and lives in Montana, a very long ways away from me. <laughs> sure. But that's his business. I mean, he, he started this before we were doing Baker Forge. His business is social media management for companies, and he's got a, a pretty large uh, list of companies he does this for wow. on, on a regular basis. And he's got a couple of people that work for him as well. He does web development, all kinds of crazy stuff, but um, he – Early on I knew we were gonna be heading towards needing somebody to help take over some of that. And initially he really was just a consultant for me and helping me really push and you know, what to do with Instagram, Facebook to make things grow and to gain sure. a following. And he was critical in that. And once we brought him on, it was just an uphill whoosh. He he's really worked a lot of magic at helping really build a following. He and any time we need, I need to do a post or something, I'm always reaching out to him and being like, hey, I need a graphic for this. I need this and this. I need the, uh, a list. He generates all our hashtags. He has got. Uh, he does all the research into trending hashtags every week. Um, wow. There's, there's a lot of work that actually goes into it that uh, I mean, a bunch of knife makers out there don't even really realize. When, when you're doing a business, an online business that is social media based, your social media is your number one focus. If that's where you're marketing through, then there's there's so much you can do there. I mean I could go into go for hours on this, but <laughs> um, Yeah hey man, we're here
1: for it. That's what the podcast is all about. And you know, the the thing that you did, you were incredibly smart about is, you know, most makers think, oh well, I'm I'm the one who's making this. I can do everything, you know, there's no need to get anybody else into this because, you know, I wanna have control of every single last thing about my business. And what's incredibly smart about you, and it shows that you have a former, you know, business mind background, is that you're like, okay, well, here's something that I'm not necessarily great at, or something where I could hire in somebody to do it better than I can, so I can focus on more individual or more, you know, things that I need to do that only I can do. So it's it's incredibly you know, smart on your end to, okay, well, I need a social media guy. Oh, I need a videographer. Oh, I need this, that, and the other type of a person instead of, you know, needing to have control over every single last thing.
0: Well, exactly. And the one thing that I would pride myself in about Baker Forge is the team that I've created. It's not my number of followers on social media. It's not how cool my steel looks. It is the team I've created because I, I've got such a good team here. And some of these guys just kind of jumped in with me earlier on and you know it was just an act of god that they're here with me now um because there's talent is hard to find these days and skilled labor guys who are you know will give 110 percent into what you're doing that's hard to find these days Mm -hmm. and so I've, i've really assembled a great team of guys who love what they do they are every time i walk out in the shop and i have a photo on my phone of a customer's knife that they sent me and i'm showing to these guys they just love it they eat it up because they don't get to see these final products because we just send out gray bars of steel right but their reward comes when they get to see what you guys you the makers have made with the material and so they, they love doing that um i forget where i was going with that i had a point (laughs) <laughs> but it's all right it's all right i mean i i i will definitely go off of the fact that you get
1: i mean i i got some of your your bronze my steel for the dagger challenge and then a couple other videos that i'm going to be putting out here shortly where you know when when the piece of steel shows up it's totally grayed out it's forged scale on the side you know you, you know you put on this little spray paint beard which is your logo which is super iconic and i love that but the fact that like you could I you turn it on its side and you can see the little shims of brass in there or bronze in there um you know I I had the vision I could see where it was going but it's it's so like it's almost a little bit terrifying because you you get this blank looking piece of steel and you're thinking man I've got to make this thing look beautiful because I know what's inside of it
0: yeah it's like uh it's like a crystal inside of a rock you know the yeah, outside exactly, looks like a, exactly the outside looks terrible. And ugly, but you get inside and it looks great. Um, on that note, I will mention we are heading towards getting rid of the whole forge scaled texture idea. I mean, it wasn't ever an idea before, but removing that scale for production is a lot of, is a huge extra step. It's a lot of work, and mm-hmm. we are in the process of acquiring a machine that will allow us to take all the scale and surface grind an entire batch all at once and because my mm. my end goal is providing steel that is fully is already, already clean that looks gotcha. like a million bucks out of the box um and we now, of course offer of the, oh sorry I, go ahead well i was just gonna say <laughs> uh the removing the four scales a lot of work if we were trying to do it on an entire batch we have done it in the past and it, it's a lot of extra work and it ends up putting in a lot of expense because we have to do it one at a time on our current machines Mm-hmm. Um but you were asking what machine that would be. Yes, that's exactly what yeah. my question
1: was. What what is what it kind of a machine takes off the what it's it has
0: to be like this big giant surface grinder, right? Correct. It's called a Blanchard grinder. And so okay. it is a big I mean you can get them in different sizes, but it's a big a, ma- a magnet uh circular steel magnet and it sits in a bed kind of like a lathe or a mill and okay. it spins and then there's a uh, a head to the machine that has spinning uh, grind is a grinder is a spinning grinder stone of a, about the same size, and it spins in the opposite direction. And so you put these you put the entire batch of steel down, turn the magnet on, it sucks them all to the table, and then you run and you just take a pass back and forth with the 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 stone grinder head, and once it's once you've got some clean bars in there, you pull those or you flip them. And you keep on going until you've gotten all of them clean and, you know, you'll just rotate them through. So that that would allow us – first off, that thing can run on its own for a while. It doesn't require a guy to stand there, an employee to sit there and do it, you know, and, and be occupied by it. It, it can run okay. on its own for a while because um, you can set how far down you want it to go, how much you want it to take off, stuff like that. So, So this sounds a lot like an old-school wheat mill.
1: Like you see back at from like the 1800s when they're pro- or even earlier than that, where they're processing wheat and it's just two grindstones that come together and you put the wheat between and it, it grinds it together. I imagine it looks yep. like a really high tech version of that.
0: Yes, yes, it does. Um, okay. The, the only difference being, of course, it's you know all steel with magnets and whatnot. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's
1: where the high tech version comes in.
0: <laughs> exactly right. They're huge. Oh, yeah. They are big machines especially one we would need it's gonna it's gonna be massive and i don't quite have the space so if we had this if we got this new bay then that would be giving us room for it so that's that machine is probably next on the acquisition list because i would love to be able to send out steel without scale on it first off it looks better second off it's another step in allowing us to check the quality and quality inspect the steel to make sure there's no imperfections in it whatsoever gotcha 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 man it's
1: it's incredibly exciting to see where you guys are going and you know i really appreciate you sitting down for this interview with me koi you know where is it on
0: tell it tell us where can the people find you okay so people can find me on instagram baker Forge and tool uh same on facebook TikTok. tock uh, our website is bakerforge.com and that's where we sell all our steel and that's uh, that's pretty much it. We've got a couple other small accounts here and there. Don't worry about those, but <laughs> those are the main ones. <laughs> all right, all right. So
1: you've got the TikTok, the Instagram, the Facebook, the YouTube. It sounds like you've got the oh, main yeah. four going. And yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sitting down again. I, Of course, we'll have you back on later on to get another interview in. Coy Absolutely. Baker, thank you again.
0: Thank you so, Guys, so much for having me.
1: Yeah, man. Everybody, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Thank you guys all for listening. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your week. I've been Brian Cohn with Coy Baker. Work for it, guys. See
0: ya.